Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bible Podcast. Today we're going to be reading out of 1 Samuel chapters 28 through 31 and we're going to switch gears after that and read uh, chapter 18 in the book of Psalms. Before we begin, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a verse that I stumbled onto today. And this verse comes from chapter 53 in the book of Isaiah, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The ashes that marked the foreheads of millions of believers on Ash Wednesday just weeks ago held a reminder for us. We are but dust, yet his story reminds us of so much more. We are redeemed. We are set free. We have been given new life, an open door through Jesus Christ. The ashes are a clear picture of the frailty of human existence. And though many times we may somehow think we're invincible in this life, or even led to believe that we are not quote-unquote needy of a savior, when hit with life struggles or face to face with painful events, we quickly remember we need help. We need a savior. We have one who also was broken in ways we could never fully comprehend. Yet he remained strong and chose to endure it all for us. He extends grace to remind us we don't have to stay stuck in our struggle and pain. He holds good in store through it all able to bring greater purpose, greater beauty, greater strength. He never intends for us to remain in the pit of our despair, for he breathes fresh life. God brought beauty out of the brokenness of the cross. He gives beauty for our ashes. His sacrifice offers forgiveness for our sin. The power of the resurrection gives hope for our future. There's such power there. God sent his only son. He loved. He gave. There was no other way but this. As we enter into this weekend, may we take a closer look at the reality of it all. The suffering of the cross. The huge sacrifice that Christ paid the pain that was endured, the great cost of his gift, the love that was shown, the freedom he offers. It's not a flowery picture of fluff and stuff, but it's the most powerful story ever told. Incredible sacrifice, amazing grace, lavish love. Use this Good Friday prayer to focus on what Jesus did for you. Let us pray. Dear God, we remember today the pain and suffering of the cross. 
and all that Jesus was willing to endure so we could be set free. He paid the price, such a great sacrifice, to offer us the gift of eternal life. Help us never to take for granted this huge gift of love on our behalf. Help us to be reminded of the cost of it all. Forgive us for being too busy or distracted by other things, for not fully recognizing what you freely given, what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that by your wounds we are healed. Thank you that because of your huge sacrifice we can live free. Thank you that sin and death have been conquered and that your power is everlasting. Thank you that we can say with great hope, it is finished, for we know what's still to come, and death has lost its sting. We praise you, for you are making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 28. Saul consults a medium. About that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. King Achish told David, You and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Very well, David agreed. Now you will see yourself what we can do. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. Meanwhile, Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown, and Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Saul then said to his advisors, Find a woman who is a medium, so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, There is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes, and then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed? The woman demanded. You know what Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, Well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You've deceived me. You are Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a god coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like? Saul asked. He is an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Because I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. 
the Philistines are at war with me and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams, so I have called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, Why ask me, since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refused to carry out his, sac his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you to hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He was also faint with hunger, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. When the woman saw how distraught he was, she said, Sir, I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say and I let, and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. But Saul refused to eat anything. Then his advisors joined the woman in urging him to eat, so he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had been fattening a calf, so she hurried out and killed it. She took some flour, kneaded it into dough, and baked unleavened bread. She brought the meal to Saul and his advisors, and they ate it. Then they went out into the night. Here in chapter 28, in verses 1 and 2, we're reminded that Compromising our convictions often leaves us with hard choices. David had left Israel to hide among the Philistines and was now reaping the consequences. He was asked to join the Philistines in a battle against his own people. David had to deal with a difficult decision that God may never have intended him to face. When we make decisions without God and His Word in mind, we may end up in situations that could lead to our downfall. We need to keep God at the center of our decisions and carefully consider the likely consequences of our actions. In verses 7 and 8, Saul's final act of rebellion involved witchcraft, which the Bible unequivocally condemns. In his desperation, Saul sought the guidance of spirits of the dead. Instead of finding help there, however, he only received confirmation of his coming destruction. The world of Satan worship and occult practices will always bring trouble for those who practice them. Sometimes people want to know what God is up to, but they can't seem to wait for Him to reveal it. Instead of letting God work out His plans on His own timetable, they consult other sources. They're desperate to unravel the mysteries of life. And there are always people called mediums who are willing to help them, usually in exchange for a fee. Starting in the 1970s, television became a popular way for mediums and mediums to advertise and demonstrate their skills, quote unquote. Today, TV ads are 
TV ads for psychics are rampant, even during prime time. Using TV to spread psychic messages may be new, but the practice of occultic techniques is ancient. In his law, God forbade his followers to consult sorcerers or mediums. Instead, they were to rely and wait on him. In obedience to God's command, King Saul had outlawed mediums in Israel, but curiosity and desperation eventually got the better of him. He felt his kingdom slipping from his grasp and he wanted someone to calm his fears. So he sought out a medium and asked her to call on the spirit of the deceased Samuel. When she did, the message wasn't quite what Saul had in mind. Saul learned that his army would suffer a humiliating defeat the next day and that he and his sons would die. Most mediums are fakes, using elaborate tricks to get people to believe they have special powers. But some really do communicate with the spiritual world. In any case, God's prohibition sorry, God's prohibition on consulting mediums remains in effect. We are called to believe and trust God and let it go at that, rather than messing around with astrology charts, tea leaves, Ouija boards, or the words of witches. First Samuel chapter 29 The Philistines reject David. The entire Philistine army now mobilized at Aphek, and the Israelites camped at the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands, David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish, but the Philistine commanders demanded, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish told them, This is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years, and I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go into the battle with us. What if he turns against us in the battle and becomes our adversary? Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with his master than by handing over heads over to him. Isn't this the same David about whom the women of Israel sing in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So Kish finally summoned David and sent, said to him, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. I think you should go with me into battle, for I've never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until today. But the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quietly. What have I done to deserve this treatment? David demanded. What have you ever found in your servant that I can go and fight the enemies of my lord, the king? But Akish insisted, as far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God. But the Philistine commanders are afraid to have you with them in the battle. Now get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David and his men headed back into the land of the Philistines. 
while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. Here in chapter 29 and verses 1 through 10, we see that David's move to Philistia was a compromising one. His safety there depended on his relationship with King Kish, who asked David to fight against the Israelites. Here, Akish released David from his services. God delivered David from the consequence of his earlier decision. God's love is great. He often provides us with a way to escape difficult circumstances, even those of your own making. But remember this, when God provides the way for us to escape a compromising situation, It is our responsibility to take it. First Samuel chapter 30, David destroys the Amalekites. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag, They found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev with Ziklag. Sorry, and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized that what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Abinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Bezer. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in the field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked. I am an Egyptian of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carthites in the Negev, the ter- territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. 
David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites ex escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything with Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook Bezor and met up with 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said they didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, No, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders and attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike, those who go to the battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made his this decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. When he arrived at Ziklag, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends. Here is a present for you, taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. The gifts are sent to the people of the following towns David had visited, Bethel, Ramoth Negev, Jatir, Arwer, Simoth, Eshtema, Rakal, the towns of the Jerahmelites, the towns of the Kenites, Horma, Bor, Ashan, Athak, Hebron, all the other places David and his men had visited. Here in chapter 30, in uh, verses 1 through 6, while David and his men were away from Ziklag, mortars had come and stolen their belongings and kidnapped their families. In this crisis, David shows us where to go for direction and hope. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Chapter 30, verse 6. David knew where to go in a crisis. Surrendering our lives to God, no matter how dire our circumstances, is always the right choice. First Samuel chapter 31 the death of Saul. Now the Philistines attacked Israel and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, Makishua. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor-bearer, Take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt and torture me. But his armor-bearer was afraid and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fled on it, and fell on it. When his armor-bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died before 
died beside the king. So Saul, his three sons, and armor-bearer, and his troops all died together the same day. When the Israelites on the other side of the Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The next day, when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul, Saul's death in their pagan temple. And to the people throughout the land of Philistia, they placed his armor in the temple of Eshtoreths. And they fastened his body to the wall of the city of Bethshan. But then, but when the people of Jabesh Gilead heard about, heard what the Philistines had gone had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors traveled through the night to Bethshan, and took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall, and they brought them to Jabesh, where they burned the bodies. Then they took their bones and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh. And they fasted for seven days. Here in chapter 31, in uh, verses 3 and 4, we see that suicide was the tragic end of this man who never learned to repent. Saul's life didn't have to end this way. If he had admitted his sins accepted responsibility for his decisions to disobey God and asked God to change him, he could have come to the noble end. One key to his downfall is that he was never fully accountable to others. He relied on himself and never learned to fully depend upon God. As a result, his life stands as a momentum stands as a monument to squandered potential. Saul's tragic end should have should give us ample reason to embrace God's plan for spiritual renewal. Psalm 18 I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path, but in my distress I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger, smoke poured from his nostrils, fierce flames leaped from his mouth, glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down, dark storm clouds were beneath his feet, mounted on a mighty angelic being he flew, 
soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hail and burning coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and burning coals. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flashed and they were confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the last, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen and the mountains of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. From those who had hated me and were too strong for me, they attacked me at a moment when I was in distress. But the Lord supported me. He led me to the place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To those who to those with integrity you show integrity. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. You rescue the humble, but the but you humiliate the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord, my God, lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look at him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who put our God? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You placed my foot on their necks. I have destroyed all who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to their rescue. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I ground them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit. Foreign nations cringe before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. 
He subdues the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victories to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and all his descendants forever. So here in chapter 18, in verses 1 through 5, we see that David wrote this psalm soon after God delivered him from his enemies. God is more than able to deliver us from those who oppose his will, just as he delivered David. He is our source of strength, our rock and the one on whom we must rely for help. In verses 6 through 15, David used vivid imagery in these verses to show us how serious God is about helping those who turn to him for help. David knew that he would be delivered, not because he was strong or deserving of God's help, but because God loved him and was powerful enough to rouse all the forces of nature to help him. If God is on our side, no enemy is too great. We can always experience victory by depending on God's delivering hand. In verses 16 through 19, when the psalmist realized his helplessness and surrendered his life to the Lord, God came to his aid. Many of us know this truth as a theological uh, principle, but we must also experience it on our own lives. We are given a clear warning in these verses. Our enemies or temptations always attack us when we are most vulnerable. Honestly reflecting on our spiritual lives will help us see just what our weaknesses are and when temptation will be most likely to attack. Then we can surrender these areas to God and depend on Him to help us. In verses 25 through 29, David recognized God's desire to bestow mercy on those who are merciful toward others and repentant of their sins. When we are ready to admit to God and to others our wrongs, and when we show mercy to others, God is merciful toward us. We do great harm to ourselves and to others when we are too proud to admit our failures. Such pride keeps us from truly seeking God because we may be afraid to seek the truth and have to confess the truth. But God is quick to help us redirect our course when we acknowledge this kind of pride as sin. In verses 30 through 36, David praised God for protecting those who look to God for help. God will protect us if we are willing to admit our weaknesses and depend on Him. He will give us the power to do what is right in difficult situations and give us the ability to walk without stumbling, even when the path is slippery. 
And finally, in verses 40 through 43 through 50, we see that the successes that God gives us can become a strong encouragement to others. We are called upon to share our victories with others. This may be all it takes to give them the courage to go on. They will see God's transforming power in our lives and begin to hope that God can do the same for him, for them. Because of who God is and what he does for us, we could constantly give him thanks and praise for the way he helps us. So in today's reading, the Philistines want to attack the Israelites, and King Achish is relying on his buddy David to help him out. Not long ago, Saul had his second near-death experience with David. When you stare death in the face and your former mentor dies, and you're being tormented by a demon, and you're about to lose your job, and one of your powerful enemies is attacking you, that's a lot to deal with. This doesn't excuse Saul's actions, though. On the contrary, many of his trials are the consequences of his own actions. He tries to inquire of God, but that, fa- that falls through, which, which highlights an interesting pattern we see in Scripture. When someone asks God for direction, but they aren't following his existing directions, he often won't tell them anything new. Saul experienced this earlier in uh, chapter 14, verse 37. He's unrepentant, which is why God rejected him as king. It's all connected. So when he asks God what to do about the Philistines, God doesn't reply. Instead of repenting, Saul doubles down on his sin. He disguises himself and consults a medium, which God forbids. He's seeking answers from an enemy of Yahweh, asking for help communicating with the dead named Samuel. What happens happens isn't a normal occurrence for this medium, because when she calls Samuel, he actually shows up, and she's shocked. She screams. So we can assume that whatever whatever measure of power she normally operates in, whether fake or demonic, This rare occurrence is outside of her control. The narrator leaves us to assume that God has actually intervened here. What does Saul get for all his trouble? The same old prophecies, but with two extra bits of bad news. He and his sons will die tomorrow and the Philistines will defeat Israel. Then we cut back to Achish, who is taking the Philistines to war with David in in tow. The lords of... The other Philistine cities don't trust him and tell Achish to send him back home. Through their mistrust of David, God saves him from potentially having divided loyalties, which could disqualify him from serving as Israel's king. He goes back to his home in Philistia and sees the Amalekites have attacked while the Philistines are away at war. His city has been burned, his family has been taken captive, and his people want to kill him. In the midst of this tragic loss, he knows where to turn for hope and strength. 
He inquires of God. God says to pursue the Amalekites and he'll win. Along the way, he meets an Egyptian who helps him. David had fled his homeland to escape his enemy, and he made a home in the midst of his other enemies, who were attacked by a third enemy. And when he gets help from another enemy, he has 400 men with him, and when he attacks, but 200 others are too tired and stay behind. He raids the Amalekites and gets everything back, then shares the spoils with everyone, even the 200 who were exhausted. Some of the 400 aren't happy about this, but David shuts them down. He demonstrates God's generosity here, recognizing this is all a gift from God that he can freely share. When Saul fights the Philistines, he loses, and he and three of his sons die. From, Con from Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 through 14 says, Saul died for his breach of faith, and it references his visit to the medium. And remember when God decapitated the Philistines' statue of their god Dagon? According to 1 Chronicles 10.10, it seems the Philistines took the head of Saul and affixed it to the headless body of Dagon. After the battle, the Israelites in the surrounding cities flee, and the Philistines take over their towns. David wrote Psalm 18 on the day God saved him from all his enemies. He testifies to God's goodness through his trials. While he makes a lot of claims about his righteousness, he also says it and all his blessings are gifts from God. It's God who makes his way blameless and God is the one who equips him, delivers him and protects him. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 says, David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. He doesn't strengthen himself in himself. He strengthens himself in the Lord, his God. God is the source of all the good things we offer back to him. And he's where the joy is. All right, I just want to leave you all off with a daily devotional to take with you today. I am training you in steadiness. Too many things interrupt your awareness of me. I know that you live in a world of sight and sound, but you must not be a slave in those stimuli. Awareness of me can continue in all circumstances. No matter what happens, this is the steadiness I desire for you. Don't let unexpected events throw you off course. Rather, respond calmly and confidently remembering that I am with you. As soon as something grabs your attention, talk with me about it. Thus I share your joys and your problems. I help you cope with whatever is before you. This is how I live in you and work through you. This is the way of peace. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. 
hope you all have a great day and God bless each and every one of you.